In the last 10 years, our field has gone from an unknown specialty to a household name. This brings unprecedented opportunities, but we need to rise up to meet them and give our patients the care that they deserve. In order to help others get better, we need to be better. This podcast will help you to become more confident with your patients, more successful in your practice or business, and a leader in pelvic health. And we're gonna have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising Podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey Nicole. Hello. So today we are going to be talking about those of you who are in a program where you are the only pelvic PT. And that is happening more and more because the field is growing, which is obviously a really good thing, but it does lead to a lot of challenges as well. And I hear from a lot of you folks who are always asking like, oh, what should I do? What should I be advocating for? Or a little bit complaining about that my boss wanted to start this program and they won't pay for any con ed. They don't want to give me hour-long sessions, right? So there's a lot of frustration I hear on the back end right after you get super excited about, oh my gosh, I get to do what I want to do. And then reality sets in when that isn't quite as easy as it seems at the beginning. And part of that's going to be taking ownership of that situation because if you're being asked to start a program or if you're the only PT at a program, by definition, you're the only one in the program who understands pelvic PT. You can't expect your boss or your hospital program or your ortho clinic to really get it. And not only get it, but care. So we can't expect somebody to care about pelvic floor physical therapy more than we care about pelvic floor physical therapy, or even as much as we care about it as a pelvic floor practitioner. And and I think that that's where there's, there's a big disconnect sometimes with we assume that if somebody is asking us to start a program and are passionate about the field, and that isn't always the case, there's a lot of motivation for different reasons to start a pelvic floor program. And we would hope that they would at least be passionate about your passion, right, as an employer, or passionate about helping an underserved piece of the community, but we cannot expect them to understand the industry like we do. I think that's where the idea that you can just just take Herman Wallace One or APTA One comes from. I mean, first of all, the fact that they kind of market those courses that way of like, oh, this is your entry level and after you do this, you can be a pelvic PT. If you're reading that as an ortho person who doesn't know anything or a hospital administrator who doesn't know anything about the field. Yeah, it sure looks to me like from a look at the website that Herman and Wallace won and you should be all set. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. And I think that some of those baseline programs, it's not bad that they're marketing like that because they are fundamental baseline courses that we have to take. But we can't expect our the people that are employing us 
to do that extra research and care about the aftermath of Herman and Wallace One, they just think that it's kind of like an extra hip mobilization course that they like, oh, you're going to be better at doing the thing after you take that course. Therefore, you should be good. And they have they've not taken the time usually to get to know the different patient populations in that area and and all of those other aspects that go into a pelvic floor program. So on the one hand, we can't expect them to care a ton. And on the flip side of that argument, we also need to push them to care a little bit more, at least at a minimum, about you. So for those who are in that situation, who are either right now starting up something new or are working by themselves in a place, what are the practical steps? What do you need to take in order to make that as good as possible for you, for the place you work, and for your patients? So one of the first things that I need you to realize is that you have more leverage than you think you do. And I think that sometimes when somebody comes to us and asks us to do something like that, we think that like all we have to say is yes, or all we can say is yes, and we can't say yes, and I also need these things. And that is the first thing that I really want you to understand. Secondly, we need to make sure that you're educating yourself on what those things that you need to request are. So one of the first things is you can push for more continuing education. A lot of times, like we mentioned, the clinic director or the rehab manager is just looking at, you know, doing some preliminary research and being like, oh yeah, Herman and Wallace or APTA1 should be good in order for you to call yourself a pelvic floor specialist, say you have a pelvic floor program, do potentially internal examinations, and that's it. And again, like we can't expect them to know more about our field than we do. So one of the first things that you can advocate for is more continuing education in that field. So make sure that you're asking for to complete a series within a you know reasonable timeline, but that might be more than your typical quote con ed budget. And this is that leverage that you're talking about is using some of that. They're asking you to put in a lot of time and effort and energy into doing something that no one else on their staff is able to do. This is where you guys do have, and it's an eminently reasonable request. I would feel a lot more comfortable treating patients if I had been better trained and been able to go to three or four of these courses and make sure that I have a solid foundation. It's pretty hard to just look in the eye and say like, no to that. Totally. And the other thing is, is that, and here's a little trick of the trade. Sometimes the budgeting is different, right? So a con ed budget for everybody is different per each physical therapist than it is for program development at the hospital or some area where they're willing to pull out of a different budget, say a marketing budget or something like that, in order to fulfill on that need. Because at the end of the day, if you get the pushback of, well, this is what we do for Con Ed, no one else is starting a program in a brand new field. So yeah, this is what you do for a normal person in normal situation in an orthopedic place. You get one Con Ed course a year. I'm not a normal orthopedic therapist in a normal thing. You're asking me to do something new and different. We're going to have to do, by definition, something new and different. Yeah. And so that would be the first thing 
to really push for, but you have to be educated in what you're going to need first and really have thought out what would actually be a reasonable thing for me to ask, right? And it's relatively reasonable for you to ask to take more Con Ed specifically to fulfill and round out your education in order to be the program leader in this area. Yeah, so you have more leverage than you think you do. And if they they come back and you ask for that as an example, and they come back and say no, then you have a conversation as to number one, why not? And number two, how do you feel like, rehab director, we're going to do this then when with my research and my understanding of the pelvic floor practitioner, this is sort of what we are going to need to have a good program that's going to provide the kind of service and care to patients that we need to have in this field. So how are we going to reconcile that? Because now you're saying that you're not going to give me the tools to do my job well. And so where are we at with this? Do you not want the program? Am I going to be responsible then for my own continuing education and be bringing in patients as I feel ready then? But there needs then that at least gives you the opportunity to have a two-way conversation about what you feel like you need to start the program and then what the true intentions are of the rehab manager. And it could be that they just don't know. And once you present them information, then they might be like, oh, dang it, you're right. Let me go back to whoever makes the decisions and figure that out for you because you're right. That does sound like we need to have thought this through a little bit more. Right. You need to give them the chance to make the right decision with the right information. And if they still don't, then that's a little bit of a red flag on how much do they really care about making this a good program? And is that something you want to be a part of or not? And for the most part, you know, and most of the time you still might make the decision to sure, like give whatever they're going to give you or take whatever they are going to give you. But it is a little bit, like you said, of a red flag or yellow flag about like, ooh, they're not quite as committed to pelvic health and my success in this program as one might think. And therefore we need to just take that with a grain of salt and make sure that we're paying attention to that as we move forward into our patient care. The good news, and this is where you, Nicole, I know have not as much patience for some of the younger people who might be feeling like, oh, they're not paying for me to go and fly to get these courses, or they're not giving me the support that I want. We're living in literally the best time ever to be able to go out and get your own support. Yeah. Have more resources now than anybody. And especially when we think about 10, 15, the people who started 25 years ago when there was nothing out there, like there's really nothing to complain about. There's a lot of great stuff out there right now. Yeah. And this is where I have, I'm going to give you a little tough love out here for anybody that's been in this situation. Get off our lawn, kids. <laughs> is that if you ask, they say no. And you still decide to stay there and treat patients in that facility, then it's freaking on you. It is not, they're not doing it for me. I'm never going to be able to be successful here because they're not giving me the resources. It's like, while that might be true that they're not providing you with the ideal resources, if you choose to still try to work within their system and do pelvic health, then you're going to have to figure out and pony up and freaking stop complaining about it and then also still provide the best care within the constraints of that system. 
And yes, that might mean funding your own con ed and doing a lot more research on things that you don't get, quote, paid for, right? A lot of time outside the clinic. But there are those resources out there now. I mean, the huddle, how many huddle-ups have we now done? Almost 100 online free trainings. you got this podcast, other great clinical podcasts, MedBridge, where you can get all of your stuff for 200 bucks and take whatever course you want. I mean, that Dude. all of that stuff is an incredible opportunity that just was not available. And that's before we even start talking about the explosion of Con Ed courses, the fact we're able to do more online courses that you're able to get to without having to pay for travel and lodging and everything else. There's opportunity out there, but that's where you are going to have to invest probably time and money to improve your career. Improve your career and improve your patient outcomes. So yeah, I get real, real fired up about the person that says like, I want to start a pelvic floor program. And then the second that that is not you know, 100%, their employer isn't 100% on board the way you think it should be. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, well, this is going to be a failure. I can't do it the right way. And woe is me. It's like, no, shit or get off the pot. Like, seriously, you need to take it into your own hands. And because that will always be something that you can take with you. It's not like you have to leave all that education at your place of employment when you leave there. It's like, that's in your head. That's knowledge that you've gained. And yeah, you it, your clinic might be benefiting from it a lot right then. And you might be putting in way more hours than you're getting paid for at that place. That's fine because your patients are benefiting and you're benefiting. And that's where it's like not someone else's job to care more about your career than you do. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think a great little tangent to jump off on real quick, but that is, that's completely true. And just understand that if your employer does genuinely care about your career and advancing your knowledge, that's great. Like care about that. You should be ecstatic about that because in a lot of places, there's no financial incentive for them to do that. In a hospital, they couldn't care less really how good of care you're giving. They're not being evaluated on patient satisfaction surveys, they're being evaluated on how many people are coming into the clinic. They've got a steady flow of people coming from the physicians. There's not an incentive. So if you do have somebody who's really caring about your career and helping you think about Con Ed and where to advance or whatever it is, then that's amazing. And if not, then that should be expected. Do you really care about your boss's personal fulfillment? Yeah, right. No, no one's ever come up to us at Pelic Sanity and been like, how are you guys doing? Can I really help decide where your career should go? <laughs> right. In fact, that sounds kind of absurd when so, you think of it like right. that. Right. But, you know, if you're sitting around waiting for your boss to, you know, decide on your, like, personal career advancement, you might be waiting until hell freezes over. So... <laughs> Don't do that. And so if they do, do care, that. be really stoked about it. But Yeah, that is a good point, though, Jess. If they do care and you're seeing that they care and that clinical director, rehab manager, whoever you're talking to goes back and really does try to advocate for you and it still doesn't work out, that is a person that you need to ally with and and really be thankful for because that is not a given. And frankly, you're not entitled to that. So it's just something that you need to be really thankful and grateful for if you do happen to have that. But again, it is not something that should be expected. 
So as we go through, first thing we talked about is use your leverage and advocate for yourself in the program. Second thing is educate yourself and make sure that you are taking advantage of all of the different opportunities that are out there, even if you're having to put in time or money that you're not being reimbursed for. And then the third thing is to go back and educate your program and then advocate for your patients. And that's a huge piece on, and there's a lot of different ways to do that, I think is a big point. And so sometimes there are true, real limitations. Like we cannot, as a program, do what you want to do. As a hospital program, we can't give you a three-hour initial evaluation. Like that's okay. Like Or even a 90-minute. Or even 90-minute. Yeah. Or even an hour. I mean, so just find out. The first thing is to find out what are the real limitations of the situation that you're in. And then you have to figure out how to work around those. Totally. And that's where you're going to, instead of then advocating for yourself, like, oh, I need more continuing education to do my job, then you're going to think about it from the patient standpoint and be like, well, my patients at a minimum are going to need this. And whether that's more time or, or frequency of visits, right? You can still advocate for the 60-minute pelvic floor treatment if that's not possible and we're doing 30 minutes then you are can advocate for being able to see them more than once a week you can advocate for better front desk training so that yeah, the patient is experience little, yeah creative with stuff right is okay great so there is a true limitation we can't do more than 30 minute treatment sessions then how can we improve the patient experience not increasing the amount of time Totally. Front desk is huge. Front desk is huge. The patient experience is huge. Can we get make sure that those forms are given to the patient earlier? Can we educate our front desk people on how to talk to people that are inquiring about pelvic floor dysfunction? If that's a call center, what are the workarounds that we can do? Can we get a list of patients that are scheduling pelvic floor exams and have somebody else call them, you know, have an aide or something, call them and, and you're educating the aide then? I mean, there's so many different ways that you can create a better patient experience for your patients. Yeah, thinking about handouts, if you don't have as much time with somebody as you might like, well, what can I send them home with that's going to be more valuable than the HEP to go or whatever it is. Is there a way to, like, what or am your, I saying your, all the time? Yeah, or your ortho things, right? And this is a thing that I think is also really important, too, that if you have a rehab facility or an orthopedic clinic that now wants to add pelvic floor and you want pelvic floor specific handouts and intake forms and things like that, then that's a way that you can advocate for yourself and your patient so that it makes your your evaluation process streamlined and it makes the patient experience better for the pelvic floor patient. But that's something that doesn't really cost that much more money. It just costs the rehab director or other boss like time to figure out how are we going to make sure that we have a pelvic floor specific handout instead of just modifying the current one to the specs. And that's where we can go back a little bit to educate your director about that. No, it's not good enough to just use this orthopedic handout for this pelvic floor patient. That's just one other way that you can advocate both for yourself and your patients in this case. Yeah. So I hope this has been a good Takeaway from you guys, for those of you who are in a program, either by yourself, at being asked to run something, wherever you're at in that process, I hope there's some good takeaways here. I think one of the really cool things is just what we talked about, Nicole, on this is like a golden age for this field. And for those of you who are getting into it now, like there's a lot of resources that did not exist 
five years ago. Even five years ago, right. And the one other takeaway that I want you to take away from this podcast is that you cannot expect somebody else to care about your career more than you do. And if you show them that you care about your career, your specialty, your patience, then you can expect a little bit of that to be at least reciprocated in some way or supported in some way, but you can't expect someone else to care more about it than you do right off the bat. And I think that hopefully you've seen some tangible ways to show them that both in educating yourself on your needs for a, to start a program and number two, to educate your boss, supervisor, clinic manager, whoever that is on your needs. And then we can sort of see where the chips fall and figure out, is this a place that you want to stay? Are their intentions right? Are they trying to support you? You know, do you want to continue on in this thing? And if you still, if you're not getting the financial support that you need and want really, then it's up to you. And if you're going to stay there and you're going to continue to treat pelvic floor patients, then you got to freaking level up and figure it out. And then we can see how we go from there. That's it. So guys, really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have questions, if you want to get in contact, please do Nicole at pelvicsanity.com. But as always, let's keep this conversation going. And let's continue to rise.